Hi, and welcome to the Celebrating Autism podcast. I am your host, Melanie, and I'm a special education teacher, and I have a master's degree in special education with an emphasis in autism. This is a podcast for teachers, parents, and other professionals who want to learn practical strategies and tools to create a world that caters to all people, including individuals on the autism spectrum. Along the way, you will get to hear some amazing stories that celebrate autism and are guaranteed to put a smile on your face. So let's get started on our journey to making our world a more inclusive place, one strategy at a time, along with improving the lives of people with autism and their families. I am super excited today for our interview with Mira. She is from Super Speech Solutions. It's a company that she started. Um, She has so much experience as a speech therapist, and she's gonna be talking all about working with students with autism and speech and how they go together and just giving a lot of great information for you and your families. One disclaimer I want to put out there while you're listening to this, um, Mira specializes in working with students with autism um, who also have speech delays, some social communication issues, and so on. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, my child is displaying that, or my, my child is speech delayed, or this or that, it doesn't necessarily mean that your child has autism. So please take that into account. This episode is geared to children who already have autism, who may have already been diagnosed, um, and those speech delays and difficulties um, that come along with that. So please know that going into listening to this, and I really hope you enjoy. All right, you guys, today we have an awesome guest here on the Celebrating Autism podcast. Uh, Her name is Mira, and I am going to let her tell you a little bit about herself and her awesome company, um, because she can probably explain it much better than I can. So without further ado, everybody welcome Mira. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, my name is Mira Dieters. I'm a speech language pathologist, and the name of my company is Super Speech Solutions. I am in Houston, Texas, um, but because I do speech therapy online, I can see anyone in the entire state of Texas. I actually specialize in working with autistic individuals, so I'm really excited to be on this podcast. And uh, it's actually April right now, so we are celebrating autism awareness, or I know some people call it autism acceptance month so very excited to be here and talk about hopefully things you will find helpful related to speech and language yeah definitely we're so excited to dive into those strategies a little bit later um and before we dive into that tell us um, a little bit about how you started your business like what made you want to you know dive into this sometimes scary venture of starting your business and um, doing it on your own Sure. So the interesting thing about that is I'm not one of those people who I decided very early on that I wanted to have my own business. I've actually been a speech therapist for 14 years now. And just within the past few months, I actually decided I wanted to start my own business. And the way that came about is that during the pandemic, when it first started, you know, although it was initially very jarring to work from home and not see people, over time, I really ended up liking that. And to be honest, I looked into teletherapy companies to see how much they would pay. And I realized, man, they really don't pay a lot for the level of experience I have. And I didn't want to feel like I wasn't making enough financially and things like that. So I really just, uh, I had a couple of people who helped encourage me to start my own company. So I've actually just done that in the past few months. I definitely have been 
learning a lot. I actually have networked with a lot of speech therapists, um, some who actually are very successful in having their own private practices for speech therapy. So I've been learning a lot, but I'm thankful to have mentors along the way helping me because I think I would be lost without them for sure. Yeah, and that's so great to have people guide you and, and be there. And, and someday, you know, you can be a mentor to somebody starting their own business. So that's awesome that you found people that you could collaborate with. And, and you mentioned that you see clients online. How is that going for you now? And, and any plans to have it be in person? Or is this kind of, you know, how you're going to run the business? Well, initially I was thinking that's the way I'm going to run the business, but that was because COVID was looking even worse than it is now. Now, thankfully, we're so happy that so many people are able to go get vaccines. And in Texas, actually, now anyone is eligible, I think from 16 and above, which is awesome. I'm really blessed that I was able to go get both vaccines myself and my husband actually is going to get his second one tomorrow, which is awesome. So um, right now I am seeing people online, but I actually do have an in-person summer camp coming up just to work on social skills for two weeks this summer. So I think what will happen over time is I will end up opening up to in-person visits probably um, you know, in the city of Houston and people's houses. So I'm kind of segueing my way there in the next few months, I would say, or certainly by summertime. Yeah, and I'm definitely gonna share um, that summer camp registration flyer. It looked so beautiful and um, engaging and it was really cool. I love that you sent that to me. I'm definitely gonna share that for any listeners that are listening in Texas. Um, you can sign up for that summer camp. Um, I think that that will be so awesome and we're so ready to get out and be with people yes. and yes. Work, up, yes. work on our speech skills and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. <laughs> and I think in particular for social skills, I mean, honestly, whether you are autistic or you have autism or not, um, I feel like I really haven't seen people and I know most people are feeling that way. It's been a lot of social isolation isolation and so i think just working on social skills is going to be important really for all of us it now feels jarring when i go out and see a lot of people at the grocery store or anywhere else it's just feels like an out of the body experience it's very very strange yeah i agree completely um, and tell us a little bit more about the camp so who can register are there age ranges who is it really um, targeting Sure. So it's targeting children ages six and up. It's going to be run for an hour and a half, five days a week in the morning, Monday through Friday. And um, it's essentially targeting social skills, but I really think that we'll be working on a lot of other things too. So I think there'll be some, you know, cooperation in terms of the kids working together in small groups. Um, so the nice thing I think about working on social skills is you also work on cooperation, you also work on problem solving, children working together, and these of course will be kids who don't know each other, which I also think helps them come out of their shell and meet new people that are their same age and you know maybe the parents will become friends and maybe they'll meet you know new friends you never know or if not at the least they get exposure to new people that they haven't ever met and you know a lot of us haven't had a lot of exposure to people so i think it'll be a lot of fun and i'm really excited about it you know we're planning to make it fun planning to play games you know build in a snack time and make it fun so we're all having a good time and Definitely because it's so hot in Houston, definitely having it early in the day, 9 to 10.30 in the morning, 
Um, for those of you who are not in Houston, which I know will be a lot of people, Houston gets very hot. So that is an ideal time to be outside. And uh, it should be really pretty too, because it's a, you know, it's a park outdoors. So we'll be in nature as well, which I think will also lend to um, just seeing, uh, you know, squirrels and trees. And I love nature. So I'm really happy about that too. Yeah. And to have a professional like yourself to be able to guide these kids, you know, through their day and, you know, you guys can work on those different pragmatic skills, like as you're going and you're watching for things and observing. Um, I think that that's so awesome that you're doing that and to be able to interact with the parents and give them strategies as you go along that so awesome that you're doing that. Absolutely. And one other thing I want to mention, what will be nice is at the end of every day, because the parents will be coming up or parents will be coming, you know, to pick their child up. You know, one of the things that's nice is that I'll be able to talk to them about what we did on a daily basis. And more than that, what I really want to emphasize is that I will solely be relying on the parent or parents to ask them, hey, what are the social skills that you would really like to work on for your child? What would you like to get them out of this two week camp? Because of course, these are children I'll be meeting for the first time. So it's going to be really important for me to ask that and see what they say. And uh, then we can weave all the goals into the camp and make it as functional as possible. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a personalized camp for, for their children. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're so lucky to have that. And if you're in the Houston area and you're listening to this, please register. It's this is going to be an awesome thing. And it's just really exciting. Speaking of strategies, speaking of parents, I kind of want to segue a little bit into those awesome strategies that we talked about um, last week for parents and you had so many amazing things to share. So go ahead and run us through a couple of strategies, especially uh, starting with parents that are trying to look for signs in their child's development that might show some speech delay or signal that mm -hmm. they should go to a professional and get an evaluation. What are some, some signs that parents can look for? Sure, so I think it's really important to know the red flags for speech and language. So first of all, before I get into the red flags, I really want to emphasize that the mom or dad, or um, in any case, or caregiver, whoever we're talking about here, really should talk to the child's pediatrician. Pediatricians are amazing. They know speech and language milestones. So I really just want to emphasize that is the first person you should be going to talk to because they are you know, the ones who will recommend someone like myself, a speech therapist working with a child. Um, but in terms of speech and language um, red flags, I would say a big one is you're not able to understand your child by the time they're four years old with 100% intelligibility. There may be, you know, they may have trouble with the S sound, with the Z sound. It may, you may just not be able to understand what they're saying, even though they have a lot to say. That's um, definitely a red flag that they may be behind, especially in terms of their speech. Um, so that's definitely a time you may want to see a speech therapist. Um, in terms of language, if a child is not expressing themselves using word, that you're using words, definitely by the time they're two, that is also a red flag. So generally speaking, by the time a child is two, they should be using two words together. So more juice, for example, putting both words together to communicate. So if at that level, your child is two or older, they're not using words, and let's say they're only using gestures, they're just pointing to things or grabbing you by the hand and taking you somewhere. I would definitely say at that point, they're delayed in terms of their language development. Absolutely. That's great. And, you know, it's good to look for those signs so that 
we you can get in early to get an evaluation, mm -hmm. maybe start some speech therapy, um, and work, really work through that those early intervention times in in that child's life. So, and the other thing I want to mention too is a lot of times hearing can be an issue. So sometimes I find that some of these children I've ended up working with. Once they get their hearing checked and they find out that there's all these fluid and you know, they get the PE tubes put in, it makes a huge, huge difference. I mean, if you think about it, wow, it must be so garbled in the world. If you can't hear what people are telling you, how are you going to be speaking correctly? They go hand in hand. So that's just another thing I want to emphasize, making sure your child's hearing has been checked because that can definitely be a huge factor in speech development. Such a great point. And, and honestly, I've never heard that suggestion before. So that's, that's amazing. That totally makes sense. Those things definitely go hand in hand. Um, and I know, Mira, that you have so many awesome strategies and tips for parents. Um, and I don't know where you want to start with that. But let's, I really want to run through some of those. So let's sure. say, let, let's start with, you know, a parent uh, wanting to work with their child at home, you know, when they when they're not in speech therapy. Um, mm -hmm. What are some things that they can do? So number one, it's going to depend on what the child's goals are. But for example, if we say a child is working on building their language using words, then one thing the parent can really do at home is talk to their child using the same amount of words that the child uses. So for example, if your child uses one word to label things, then at the most, I would say that as a parent or a caregiver or a teacher even, you should use one to two words at the most when speaking to the child. Now, this is something I actually learned really recently, but even in my own experience, what I realized is that when you give a child a lot of information, they don't get it because it's above their processing level. So just keeping what you're saying, you know, like I said, you pare it down very simply so that they're better able to understand you is one important strategy. I would say another one is getting them to use as much communication as possible. And so what I mean by that is if a child has their home environment set up to where they can get everything themselves, they're not going to be motivated to communicate. But if I, as a mom or dad, or again, you know, even a teacher at school or any kind of caregiver, grandparent, you know, aunt, uncle, I mean, a lot of these kids are lucky. They have so many people in their lives, but you can move objects around the environment. So if the child is used to opening the fridge and they can grab their bottle of milk right at the bottom of the fridge, you put it higher up, suddenly they're going to have to point and say milk to get it because it's not within their reach. Therefore, they're having to use communication. And by the way, they may not like that, but I think I'm used to not being liked for that. So <laughs> that's definitely a really good strategy to help with communication. So you just, it's all about hiding things, moving things around. And basically, if they don't know where things are, they're going to have to ask. Exactly. I love that. And, you know, I laugh when you say that you are used to not being liked for doing that <laughs> stuff. And, and that kind of leads us into, you know, let's say a parent or a caregiver at home is, is using that strategy and, mm -hmm. you know, a meltdown ensues, there's crying, there's frustration, there's, mm -hmm. you know, a reddened face of the child. What do mm -hmm. you, what do you suggest to parents that are facing that and just really want to give in, but, you know, we got to work on the language too. What do you suggest there? Right. So I've actually seen that and experienced that when seeing children in, in person and online. So it's really, really difficult because you really want to persist with them communicating, but you also don't want to make it over the top. Honestly, I think you have to pick and choose in situations like that, because I think there's sometimes where it's going to be 
appropriate to just let them point? I mean, at some point I kind of default to, if they're communicating that they want something, even if they're not using a word, that's okay. If they're pointing, all right, they're pointing. Let's say that's that's not something they did before. So I think every individual child is different, but we don't want them to be so frustrated that they have to give you a word every time. So I've realized that over, you know, over time and working with children, I've had to lax up my expectations of them sometimes because it can be very challenging for them when they're not used to having to communicate so much. So I think, like I said, it's okay to back off a little bit and just have them give you a little bit of communication versus exactly what you're asking for. But personally, I wouldn't let them go with not communicating at all, because then I feel like we're going to keep perpetuating that situation over and over. So if you want them to say milk and they say, mm, I think that's great, or they point to the bottle of milk, I'll take it. But if they're not saying anything, then I will persist through that frustration and kind of try to get something out of them. Exactly. Especially if you know that they can do it, right? Like if you mm -hmm. heard them say the end sound before, or you've heard mm -hmm. them say milk, and at this point, they're just not doing it out of, you know, right. stubbornness or some defiance, um, then that is definitely where you would want to persist. I and another one I think that oftentimes, you know, parents may not really think about is when you're going out anywhere, you can just label things in the environment. That's actually a really great way to teach vocabulary. So even if you're going to the park, you know, I can talk about the swings, the slide, all the things you can do outside. You can talk about action verbs, running, jumping, walking, throwing a ball, all kinds of things. Yeah. And where, you know, you see a child at the park and they're running and as they're running, you know, you label that action for them, right? Like, mm -hmm. say, oh, mm -hmm. running or, you know, they mm -hmm. jump on the trampoline, say jumping, you know, so mm -hmm. you're pairing what they're doing with the word and, and then that's how they become more familiar with it. Exactly. And another thing I've realized in working with autistic children for so long is that it's really helpful to give them the same information in different ways. So what I mean by that is you, if you can say the same thing verbally, but you can show it to them visually or doing something in an auditory manner, it's more effective. So a simple example of that is, is when I was previously, you know, before COVID, when I was seeing kids at an office, I would actually set a timer for about 20 minutes or so, because typically I was doing half an hour sessions. So I would set a timer for, let's say about 22, 23 minutes. And I would tell the child at the beginning of the session, okay, Miss Mira is setting a timer. When the timer goes off, we have to clean up. So I've told them, but now they see me doing it. Then they know they're going to hear something go off on my cell phone or on whatever timer I'm using. So then if they, you know, kind of don't want to get with the program in terms of cleaning up, well, at that point, it's like we persist through that and we keep going because we know that we have to clean up, then we have to go get their mom or dad or whoever brought them and bring them back into my room and talk to them about what we did. And that's what we're going to do. So I found that over time, they really got used to doing that. And when the timer went off, it was their cue. Oh, I know exactly what I need to do. Yeah, and we both know in working with young children with autism that routine and things like that are really important. And, and as we can develop that routine, it just becomes a part of our session. It just gets easier and easier. And as they're reinforced yes. for following the directions, um, you know, just using that to our advantage can really make life easier at home. So I love that strategy of the timer. I think that that's really important for parents to use and uh, follow through with. So that is awesome. I also want to clarify for our listeners really quick that, um, you know, Mira works with 
with children with autism and working with speech. Um, but, you know, just because your child is, is delayed with their speech doesn't necessarily mean that they have autism. So I just want to put that out there that there is a huge difference. So if you're listening to this and you're, you're starting to feel worried or anxious, like, oh, I, maybe I need to get my child tested for autism, um, that, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Um, but we're just talking about autism and speech today because Mira is our guest and she is so talented in that area. So I definitely wanted to just put that as a, a clarifier out there for our listeners. That's a really important point. I totally agree with that. They are very different things. I mean, a child, you know, any normally developing child could have difficulty with speech or language, but that's completely different than autism. Autism is a wide spectrum disorder and has many other hallmark features besides being delayed in speech and language, which actually brings me to another important one that I did want to talk about social skills. So I know we talked about that just a few minutes ago, but What's interesting to me about social skills is that there's so many different things you can work on. So when we talk about social skills, it's a very wide topic. But for example, some of the older kids that I'm working with right now um, that are on, I would say, the higher end of the spectrum, they're very, very bright, but they have trouble, for example, maintaining topics. So they, we might be talking about, let's say, frogs, and suddenly they start talking about the video game they were playing yesterday. But the thing is, they're not aware that they're doing that. They're not aware that they're switching topics so abruptly. So that might be something we work on. Or it could be something like, you know, not understanding nonverbal cues. So for example, let's say two peers are talking, they may not understand that their other peer or friend doesn't understand them. And they then need to rephrase what they're saying in a different way. Things like that can be really challenging in terms of working on social skills, specifically with um, autistic children. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that pragmatic piece of autism and speech is so important. And it's really what differentiates whether you're working on, um, you know, articulation versus pragmatics. And you can kind of separate those things out when you're talking about, um, oh, no, my child has a speech delay. Like, do they have autism or not? You can really like hone in on that social piece. And like you were saying, autism is such a huge spectrum. And there are so many other hallmarks that have to do with autism. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought that up. And, and last week when we were chatting, you explained to me also the difference of, you know, speech and language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you could kind of um, explain that for our viewers, I found that really helpful. Sure. So I think oftentimes speech and language are just really commonly confused. And really, that's not something I would have known, except, you know, I did learn it in school, of course. Um, But the difference between speech and language being so speech is actually how your sounds come out. So it has to do with your pronunciation. So when you hear the fancy term called articulation, that's pretty much just referring to how you pronounce your words or your sounds. So if I say a child has trouble with their articulation, it means I have trouble understanding what they're saying. So they may not be putting their tongue in the correct place. Usually that's most of what we're talking about here. Or uh, usually it's an issue of tongue placement. Um, You know, they may bring their tongue out too far. Maybe they're not bringing it up behind their teeth. It just depends on what sound we're talking about. Or sometimes they're substituting sounds, which means R is a com- is a very difficult sound, especially for older kids. So sometimes they might be saying a W instead of an R. So basically the sounds are sounding different. 
But language has more to do with how you're actually communicating. So a lot of times when we think of language, we think that it's only using words. No, it's not because you can be communicating non-verbally. I could point to something in the room and someone would know what I want. I'm still communicating. I'm just not using verbal communication. So language can be both verbal or non-verbal communication, but it also refers to how well you understand things that are being told to you. How well can you follow directions? Definitely. When working with, with people with autism, we have that whole pragmatic piece, right? Which you explained mm -hmm. so well. Mm -hmm. So there's really like three pieces here when talking about what you do, right? Because you could you can have clients who um, are have great articulation and are able to communicate in sentences, but they still have goals because of that mm -hmm. pragmatic piece, you know, mm -hmm. learning to understand nonverbal cues, which we know is a hallmark for, you know, people with autism. So that's really awesome that you can cover all of those things. Well, that's one of the really fun things about being a speech therapist. There are so, so many different areas you can work on in terms of speech and language. And even all the children, because I have a lot of children that I work with who have autism, we're all working on different things. They're different ages. They're at different levels in terms of their language. So we're never doing the same thing. But going back to one thing we were talking about before, the routine is really helpful. So I find that a lot of times I'm starting the session the same way. So right now, because I'm seeing kids virtually on um, Zoom, we might use the whiteboard. And so with one of the boys I'm working with, we actually write out a list of topics at the very beginning of the session. And we mark through each one as we go along. And because we're working on turn taking, he now knows he's gonna pick a topic, then I'm gonna pick the other one. So we keep going back and forth that way too. That is so huge, especially, you know, we talk about those session skills, like those session skills that you need in order to be successful in school, right? And one of them mm -hmm. is turn, turn taking and mm -hmm. conforming and, um, you know, all of those things that we have to do. And, and for people with autism, that can be really hard sometimes. Something that we do so naturally and innately um, that we don't realize is sometimes really hard um, for our people on the spectrum. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and then I also wanted you to talk a little bit about um, giving choice and taking the child's lead during an, an activity and, and how important that is to get rid of that power struggle. Sure. So those are really important. So I would say giving a child choices is especially key when they're not able to tell you exactly what they want. So with a lot of my kids, because we're working on building our language into words or sentences, et cetera, depending on where they're at. I might, for example, hold up two different toys and say, do you want to play with the dinosaur or do you want to play with the teddy bear? Or let's say we're doing Play-Doh. Do you want to play with, you know, do you want the blue or the yellow? So I try to keep it simple. I pare it down to two choices and I will let them point or I will let them say the word or say the sentence, depending on where they're at in their language and what exactly we're working on. So I think if you can give them a choice, that's really helpful because then they actually are having fun. And they don't realize that you're, by the way, working on their speech therapy goals. Exactly. And you're giving them the choice that is around what you want to work on because you're the teacher and you're the professional. But at the mm -hmm. same time, they feel ownership in that choice, you know, that mm -hmm. they got to choose. They're in control. So, yeah, I think giving choices is just an amazing strategy um, and definitely at home if you um, are looking for things to do or to make your life easier giving choices is definitely where you should start and even with food you know with food choices I mean it can be with anything it can be with food it can be with toys 
it can be with, you know, maybe where you're going to go. Are you going to go to grocery shopping or are you going to go to the park, for example? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. That, um, that is such a great strategy. Um, and then also you mentioned last week when we were chatting about, um, that you, you really like to take the lead of the child when you're doing activities. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. I think that's so important. So can you share a little more about that? So the interesting thing about that is I actually did a certification, which is called DRI or floor time. And I know a lot of um, parents actually are hearing about it and kind of know what it is now. So essentially uh, what floor time is, is you're learning how to take the child's lead and you're learning how to work with that. So what I mean by that is you might let the child pick the activity and you're going to be doing less talking. So you're following their lead by seeing what they're interested in doing. So if I have a child who, for example, wants to talk about a video game, then I'm going to give them more pausing. I'm going to give them more time to process what they're saying. I'm going to use less words. I'm going to be using maybe one more word than they'll give me. So if they're talking in three word phrases, I might use four words at the most. I'm not going to use 10 because I've lost my audience then. So it's important to simplify what you're saying, but it's important to really be in tune with what they want to do. It's okay to let them change to another activity. You really want them to know that this is something you're investing in. You want them to be interested and you want them to be able to communicate. And I find that if you know what a child really likes, like let's say they like bubbles, or dinosaurs or Peppa Pig, I mean, it could be, gosh, anything under the sun, depending on the child you work with. They really, really enjoy that. I mean, they wanna talk about dinosaurs every time I see them, I'm happy to learn about dinosaurs. That's what's gonna light them up. I think, you, you know, if the child is able to tell you what they like or asking the parents what they like or parents or caregivers or whoever is available is really key. Um, I think that's important to know. But I think it's important, like I said, to pause and give them the time to process what they wanna say. Because sometimes I'll find that, because I love talking, and maybe that's one of the big reasons I went into speech therapy. I would be the person talking before they're actually ready to reply. So I wouldn't give them enough pause time. And I'm learning that with that particular certification, honestly, it's been a game changer. I'm talking less, I'm pausing more, I'm giving them time to process. And it's really, really been interesting because I find that these children now are talking more and they're initiating more circles of communication than they would have with me in the past if I was just talking a little bit over them. Absolutely. And, and I love that you bring that up about wait time. It's so important. Um, you know, our students that we work with, they really do require a couple more seconds to process what you've mm -hmm. said and then process how they want to respond. And, and I've noticed as I've worked with students as they get older, um, that you can kind of build in those strategies too of, of using a phrase in that wait time. So I had a student that I worked with that had that going on for her and you know i would teach her to just say let me think about that and then that gave the person who that she was talking to like a signal of okay let you know let her process it so as you get older mm -hmm. as the students get older there are little phrases you can throw in there um so that it's more typical in a social setting let's say they're in middle school like and they're with friends right. Mm -hmm. So the communication looks more natural. That's actually made me think of something else. So sometimes when I'm working with kids who are in old, you know, they're a little bit older in elementary school or middle school, we might come up with a nonverbal cue that they're actually okay with their teacher using to remind them of something. So sometimes it might be, you know, maybe they need to speak louder. Well, you know, maybe they 
have the teacher just raise their, you know, kind of give like a thumbs up signal and move the thumb up and down. So they understand they need to talk louder. And that's so important for the student to, um, you know, have with their teacher. And that's kind of where the mm -hmm. parent comes in too, especially for yes. our younger students to set that yes. up with the teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you brought that up because, um, yeah, parents, if, if that's going on at school, you could definitely schedule a meeting with your teacher and set up some signals. I'm sure they would be happy to accommodate that. And I know a lot of the older kids especially like that because they're, you know, they're not being called out then for whatever it is in front of all the children. That gets really old as you get older. Nobody wants to be seen as different or, you know, be picked out amongst the other 20, 30 kids in their class. Yeah, it just leads to shutdowns, you know, it mm -hmm. leads to that like rejection, they're not reinforced to share and collaborate and be a part of the class. And so uh, it's just so important that everyone's on the same page. Absolutely. Another thing I wanted to mention is social stories. So social stories are something really key, I think, especially when there is something very different going on or some level of transition that's going to happen. So what I find in my nine years of experience in working with autistic children is that when you know something's going to be different in their routine, you do not want to let them know five minutes before. That is pretty much going to end badly, quote unquote, because they're not prepared for that. So I would say if you know, for example, they're going to have speech therapy at 2 p.m. You know, on Friday instead of 2 p.m. on Monday, the more you can let them know, if you can write it down, if you can tell them, if you can even write a story about it. Oh, you know, today you're going to see so-and-so at this time on this day. If you can prepare them ahead of time, that's definitely really helpful because a lot of times one of the things they really struggle is when something's different in the routine. Yeah, social stories are so crucial. You can write them at home. Um, I think I have a, an early, early episode um, it talked more about social stories and specifically how to write them. Um, but yeah, that's, that's so major. And you can even look on Pinterest and mm -hmm. other things mm -hmm. and teachers pay teachers and you can go on teachers pay teachers, even if you're not a teacher and look for social mm -hmm. stories. Um, and is there anywhere that you go to find already made social stories or do you make them yourself? I usually find ones that are done. I may make it myself depending on the situation, sort of if we needed to make it very specific to that child. Teachers Pay Teachers actually is a really good resource. Um, social thinking is actually a really good program in general as well. Um, so I'm not sure if they have social stories. I think they might. That might be another good resource too. Yeah, that curriculum is awesome. You know, if you're a teacher, a speech therapist, a parent, um, highly recommend looking that up. It's by Michelle Garcia Winner. Um, yeah, they do a lot of their own type of world with their thinkables mm -hmm. and unthinkables. And, and that can be really awesome for, for our kids on the spectrum. And even um, typical students really are drawn mm -hmm. to it as well. So um, yeah, really great curriculum to look up. I think children like it because it ends up seeming like a story. So it ends up being more fun. And, you know, they do obviously get something out of it, but I think it's very creative way to look at it differently. Yeah, it really forces kids to look inside themselves and be like, yeah, wow, I am not focused during class or I mm -hmm. am really stuck on this thought and I need to change gears um, so that other people around me have good thoughts, right? Like mm -hmm. it's a really good way for kids to reflect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like them. They're pretty fun. 
All right, Mira. Well, you have been so helpful today. Uh, so many amazing strategies. I highly recommend if you're listening to this and you didn't have a notepad that you re-listen and grab a notepad um, and take some notes. Mira, tell everybody where people can find you if you're in the Houston area, where they can find your camp and all that good stuff. So my website, um, it's pretty easy. It's a lot of alliteration, a lot of S sounds. Superspeechsolutions.com is my website. So that's the best place to go for any of the information we talked about today. If you're on Facebook and you're all about social media, I also have a Facebook business page, which again is the same name, Super Speech Solutions LLC. So that's on Facebook. If you're on Instagram, it's also the same name, Super Speech Solutions. And if you're on LinkedIn, I also have a business page, Super Speech Solutions. LLC. And my email is my first name. It's Mira, M-E-E-R-A at superspeechsolutions.com. So that's also another good way to reach me. And I always look at my email every day and I will definitely get back to you as soon as I can. Absolutely. And we will put all of that good stuff on our Instagram at Celebrating Autism. Um, and we'll make sure to post your uh, flyer for your summer camp and, and all that good stuff so that people can find you easier. Um, thank you so much for being here today. This was awesome. Um, we really are celebrating you today and all your hard work. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to that episode. If you want to find Mira, you can find her at Super Speech Solutions on Instagram. And you can also find her at Super Speech Solutions on Facebook. She has a bustling Facebook group um, giving so many great tips and advice for parents. Um, her website is superspeechsolutions.com. And be sure to check out, check her out. And if you are in the Houston area, please sign up for that summer camp. Sounds like an awesome opportunity to get your kids out and being social. And Mira is a trained professional who will be there to support all of the social interactions along the way. So I hope you enjoyed that episode and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.